And in this same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. And that is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Welcome to Quirks of Creation. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Quirks of Creation. I'm Jess Holmes, and joining me, as always, is Elise. Hey, Elise. Hello. Yay. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday. I know we're streaming a little bit early today because there are, there are some big things coming up after our show, so stay tuned to hear more about that. Um, but how are you doing, Elise? How is everybody doing this wonderful Friday? Yeah, I'm good. I'm happy it's Friday. I'm happy the week's done. <laughs> I can't believe it's December. That oh my gosh, my I can't either. I literally cannot cope with the fact that 2023 is almost over. Mm, no, nope, 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 nope. And I gotta like... I got to start getting into like the Christmassy spirit because I feel like I'm still like in Halloween mode and I don't know why because it's not yeah, my like we had Thanksgiving we yeah. had Halloween I'm just like dragging yeah. my feet to try and I don't know. I know but if if you guys are ha- having a hard time getting in the spirit of Advent season yep that's why we're having this episode we also have Christmas sweaters now Christmas sweaters and I think that's what I need I need one of our yeah. Christmas sweaters put it on and just get all Christmassy, throw on some Christmas music. Good to go. Go to town. Should be Listen fine. to some Mariah Carey. Exactly. Make your ears bleed. Yes. <laughs> Belt it out like nobody's listening. Exactly. Pray nobody's Even if listening. People are listening and give you weird looks. Yeah. It's fine. It's, it's fine. okay. Yeah. Get your chemistry, Merry Chemistry Christmas letter. Ah. Exactly. I make myself laugh. <laughs> Teehee. And then you'll be all set for like every festive occasion you have. So Exactly. Good to go. Halloween, you can pretend you're a scientist. <laughs> Thanksgiving, you, you can be grateful for the elements that God made. Earth yep. Day, you're being environmentally conscious by go. thinking about the elements. <laughs> it like covers it, it all. Co- everything. Covers everything. everything. You guys are good to go. Exactly. 
Yeah. So if you guys need yourselves a Christmas sweater, make sure you head over to our new website, quirksofcreation.com, and use code quirks to get 20% off your Christmas sweater. We also have a new laminin t-shirt that goes way back to our first episode. We got all kinds of new goodies in the shop, so I definitely hope you guys check it out. Do it. And it also helps us, help, you know, keep the show up and running because we're not funded by anyone. We're not funded by big tech, YouTube, anyone. We are <laughs> made by you guys. So if you want this show to keep happening, do check out some cool merch. Yeah. Do some Christmas shopping. Yeah. All that Jess. <laughs> Jess has been super, super creative and coming up with a bunch of cool new merch and stuff for us. So... You haven't My seen it yet. My favorite new thing is the Fall of Rome candle. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I need like all the candles. I know. We got a Fall of Rome one. We got a Library of Alexandria one. This is I really I just make myself laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the fun of it though is like you get it, we get it. Right. Have a candle, have fun. Wear a sweater. <laughs> It's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. Yeah. So today we are talking about, of course, Christmassy things because I opened up with the beginning. uh, Well, not the beginning, but part of the Christmas story we read out of the Bible. And as I was thinking about this time in our history, I started thinking about all of the prophecies leading up to Christ's birth because there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. And there's... I don't think it's something that gets talked about a lot. Like it's always one of those little uh, like facts that you're like, oh, did you know right. this? And then that's kind of where it's left off. Yeah. And Definitely. I think it's one of those things, especially if you've been in the church your whole life like me, you kind of take for granted yeah. that there were thousands of years before Christ came to earth and that there were thousands of years worth of prophecy before his arrival. Exactly. And he fulfilled all of them, which is insane. Which is absolutely crazy. And I know we'll get into the odds of that, but the odds are mind-blowing. Literally mind-blowing. Just to, oof, as I'm already ruining everything <laughs> on the screen. Um, Just here we go. Just to kind of give you a feel for like, how oh, yeah. insane this is. Here is a list. The major ones are 108, but this one gives you a list of even the repeating ones. And so there are 351, including all of the repetitions, <laughs> prophecies. So if you guys are just, I'm sorry, this, this list is enormous. You can't appreciate how enormously long this list is. It's huge. She's still scrolling. <laughs> Literally still scroll. I've been scrolling this whole time. Oh my god. So many. It's insane. It is literally insane. So just, I'm going to uh, give three off the top. Um, just We're going to talk about each one in depth for the I whole night. <laughs> I hope you're buckled in and ready <laughs> to talk all night. I'm just going to read the whole Bible start to finish. Let's go. Um, <laughs> No, I'll just give you kind of three as a teaser before we get into it. So the first one, 
um, is about Jesus being born of a virgin. It was prophesied in Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That comes to us from Isaiah 4.17. And then, of course, it was fulfilled in the New Testament. Uh, the verse I pulled is Luke one thirty five, And the angel answered to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God, which is what Emmanuel means, God with us. Just that, that alone, the, the hundreds, thousands of years between the writings of Isaiah and then the coming of the New Testament is like, my brain can't, can't cope. No, no, no. That's something also to just like, a good perspective to keep in mind is the yeah. time lapse here. <laughs> the time lapse kills me. Yeah. Um, another one uh, from Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That is Isaiah 9.6. And then we get John one fourteen. the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So all of these just go carefully match up what was prophesied about Christ and what was actually fulfilled. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son Hosea 11, one prophesying that Jesus would be called out of Egypt. Uh, And this reminds us that Mary, Joseph and Jesus had to flee to Egypt for a time because Herod was killing all the newborn baby boys, because he had heard, uh-oh. Yep. <laughs> he was threatened. He heard that somebody's coming to take his throne. Or so he right. thought. So he thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, it was more intense than he could have ever imagined. Oh, yeah. Um, but Matthew two thirteen through 15 tells us, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Even in the New Testament, it cites the verse, out of Egypt, I called my son. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> This is a theme we're going to be on all night. So even just in those three quick looks at the 108 ver- different prophecies that foretell of Jesus is coming, that foretell what Christ would come to do is so intense. I'm just like so blown away. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing here, which I'm sure I will be annoying and say this often, but like they didn't just go to Egypt because they're like, well, we know he's supposed to be the son of God. And so we're in Bethlehem. Now we're going to go to Egypt because right. that's what the Old Testament or that's what the prophet said. No, it was like, we don't have a choice. We got to get out of here. Let's they go. literally like, didn't have a choice. And just to like give you perspective, <clears throat> it's not like they got in their Volkswagen <laughs> kind of shimmied over to Egypt to go from Bethlehem to Egypt is not a small journey No, with a young child that, that like, no, 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 no. You don't just like pick up and go. No, I, I know there were like lots of wandering tribes at this time, but once you had a place, you tended to stay in that place. Yeah. Unless you were otherwise forced out. And this is an instance in which they were otherwise forced out. Exactly. 
Um, and so before we go through more prophecies and like the statistics behind how this could even possibly happen, the likelihood that Christ would come and fulfill even just eight of the prophecies, much less all of them. Um, right. I think it might behoove us to talk about the validity of the Old Testament, because if we don't convince you, the listener, that the Old Testament is reliable, really nothing I have to say about the statistics matters. Right. Right. True. But, and that's that's a solid argument all in and of itself is like, do you, at the base of all of this, believe right. in the Bible period? Because if you don't, none of this is going to... This is all just numbers and talking and nonsense, if you will. Yeah. Um, but also, there's there's a lot to look at here uh, to kind of point to the legitimacy of the Old Testament. And there's a lot of evidence here to look at that just kind of bolsters our faith, I think, that there's more here than than just a blind faith in in what we're being yeah. told. So I like that because I don't need the archaeology to prove my faith. That's that's why it's faith. Yeah. But if seeing the archaeological evidence helps people come yeah. to faith, it, I, we should definitely take a look at it. If anything, it makes me more certain in my faith. Absolutely. Like you were just saying. Yeah. And just more like God knew what he was doing in giving us this evidence too. Right. Leaving it behind for us to find or see or like if you choose and I think too, like the free will and everything, if you choose right. to look at this and see it, how much better for you? Because you can yeah. choose to look at this all day long and not see. You can dismiss it all you want. Right. Also. So it goes both ways. Anyway. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> so do you have some archaeology for us? I do. So again, like when we talk about this, we all kind of want that like slam dunk definitive right. piece of evidence. We can point to it and be like, there, right there, found it. It's all true. The Bible and God it doesn't really work that way. He's like, I'll give you pieces. I'll give you like clues to connect the dots and you do with it what you want. Right. And so these, some of these pieces I have, and I know you have some too, mm-hmm. um, we've talked about before. Some of them and others uh, we haven't. So basically, I think this conversation in and of itself could be a whole episode. And like, oh my gosh, I know. Each thing. Each thing could be an episode in and of itself. Like, I'm going to talk about the curse tablets here in a second. That we did a whole episode Mm -hmm. on in and of itself. So this is, these are all just kind of (laughs) snippets, small little fragments of. Bigger things. So if but. we, uh, if you wanted to hear something and we didn't say it, send us a message because we will probably do a whole episode about it. Absolutely. I would love to. So um, another thing too, I was listening to a bunch of people talking about you know, the legitimacy of the Bible and things like that. And it's like archaeology in itself is not an exact science. Right. We weren't there. We're trying to put these puzzle pieces together of what happened and what this means and what that is. Um, So anybody who's like, this is archaeological proof that this, it's like, no, it just suggests this. And it goes both ways, like for our arguments and against. Right. But still, I I like just connecting the dots. So one of these that is my favorite way to like look at the Bible and compare contrast and compare, compare and contrast, Mm -hmm. 
you can um, take claims from the Bible and compare it with archaeological data. And one that the one of the things here that I have is that is slave prices. So, like, I know that's kind of like a controversial topic, but it's it's referenced in the Bible and outside of the Bible often. Mm-hmm. And so, what we do with this is uh, the Bible talks about slave prices, and then again, you can look outside, like um, Near East prices, at the same time, and right. they actually like are the same. I. I love that because yeah. having extra biblical texts reaffirm what the Bible says, again, it just bolsters my faith because I already know that the Bible is the world's best historical document, bar none. But yes. if you're one of those people who needs an outside source to kind of help you get to that point, oh, oh man, that's great. Oh man, yeah. And what's cool about this too is, so a lot of the big arguments is these these people couldn't have written history at this time. They couldn't read or write. And so it was written hundreds, if not a thousand years after the fact. And the thing is, you take prices through, uh, like these slave prices, you take them throughout the Bible and you compare them historically to other texts outside. And the inflation rate goes up on both sides. So it always matches. Like throughout history, it always matches. And that's not something you could take, like, let's say a thousand years later and go back and get the right price. Like you don't have Google, you don't have an encyclopedia, you don't have any of these like references to make these connections. So it's just one of those puzzle pieces you can kind of fit together and be like, at the very least, it's historically accurate. Mm -hmm. And that's one of, but archaeologically, we talked about the Tel Dan steel, which was that big rock that, they found on accident, which most of these were found on accident. Uh, accident, yeah. divine providence, whatever. Right, right. exactly. So, and I love that too. And this one confirms the historicity of King David. So it was written like 100 years after his death, but um, it references uh, a king, an Ar- Aramean king who's boasting about his victory over the king of Israel and the king of the house of David. So it recognizes in this non-biblical text, the house of David and David as the founder of the kingdom of Judah. And it also, um, like it's, it's accepted pretty much universally by every archeologist and, and scientist and things like that. Like it's been studied, it's legit. Another kind of piece of the puzzle outside of the Bible, because King David was, until this was found, was thought of as kind of like Arthur, King Arthur. Oh, that a myth, like a legend. A, how funny! Made up story, yeah. Because there's Again, no one of those things I take for granted as a Christian who's been hearing about King David since I was the itty bitty baby. Right. That people think he was mythological in some way. Yeah, a mythological character and um yeah just a story that was told but this is like the first historical piece found to give credit to him so again just another kind of like history it's correct also i love the fact that all of the archaeologists and scientists agree on 
its validity. Yeah. Do you know how hard it is to get any scientist or archaeologist to agree on anything? Right. And it did take a while. You know, it wasn't like overnight, but still, it was, it was, um, it was accepted. It is accepted. It's, it doesn't say much about him, doesn't tell us much to be more concrete about David and what he did and things like that. But it's still right. like, he's mentioned like a real person right here. So uh, he's n- not only mentioned like a real person, but he's mentioned in the way that he is referenced yes. as in the Bible. Yes. Exactly. So it's not just like this dude, David, it's <laughs> King David, the house of David. Yes. It's the same sort of reaffirmation of the same language you see in biblical text. Exactly. Yes. Uh, going back real quick, because somebody in the chat, Swim Hook, was saying, Slave prices, or did I miss here? Slave prices is in, like, the Bible would literally, 20 shekels for this slave. And then you would look at the records from people also in that area of that time. And it would also say 20 shekels. And then, again, it would mention it, a slave price for 160 shekels so many years later because of inflation, things like that. And, again, it would match up with records outside of the Bible. So, again, in that way, yes, they're talking about slave prices, but that was just something that's, Mentioned a few times in the Bible, and we also also have more records outside of that. So. I know it seems like kind of heartless to reference it like that, but that right. is one of the types of record that was most accurately kept as far as sale. Yep. And while it's hard to look back on recognize history as filled with bad and terrible things. It was a part of history. Mm-hmm. So using it as a tool to inform how we understand history, I think yeah. is important. Just saying, oh, that was terrible. We can't look at that. Doesn't really help anybody. No. Uh, so using it as a tool to benefit our understanding of those times, I think is very, is the least good that could come out of it <laughs> at bare minimum. Right. Exactly. So, so yes, that's what I was referring to. And then I know you had some too. I do uh, have a couple. So uh, we talked about the tablets from Mount Ebal, um, the cursed tablet, one of the tablets. uh, Here, let me hop on over to my slide. Right. While you're doing that, like the Ebal, the cursed tablet just showed that they could read and write if nothing else at that time. Right. when Joshua and after they were done wandering in the desert. <laughs> yeah. So these are similar to, this is called the Ebla tablet mm-hmm. uh, that has Sumerian script on it. Um, and it showed basically a flourishing empire with a population of like 260,000 people 4,500 years ago. So we have like an actual writing system 4,500 years ago. And in these tablets, you see the phrase, Lord of heaven and earth, the earth was not, you created it. The light of day was not, you created it. So just kind of reaffirming the Genesis story on these tablets, I think is just like really amazing. Uh, another one I have are the cylinder seals. Whoa, that is like enormous. Um, I'll move on from that. Uh, <laughs> that uh, depict Adam and Eve um, on these tiny little rollers, which is very interesting because we always think of the uh, Adam and Eve story as being very symbolic. 
Right. But to have like an actual depiction of it with the tree, with the snake uh, is crazy. And of course it is dated to be very, very old. Of course, um, very close to that time. Here we have the silver scrolls that confirms the book of numbers. So this was found in 1979 um, by Israeli archaeologist Gabriel Barquet, and he discovered these silver scrolls in a burial chamber while excavating, I'm going to say this wrong, hold on, Ketef Hinnom, which is a section of the Hinnom Valley south of Jerusalem's old city. Yep. Um, and so on these silver scrolls were the priestly blessing we see almost word for word in numbers Numbers 6, 24 through 26, which actually this is the same benediction we give at school when we're done with prayer time. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Which is just, I love it too. And I love that we have such concrete evidence that this is yes historically accurate. And not just like some words written down. Some words, right. And and how how accurate it has been kept throughout time. And that one hasn't, we've talked about that one before. That was another one that was found on accident. Mm -hmm. They thought it was trash when they found it. And then the guy was like, I think it was a kid who was digging out all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the professor, Barke, he was like, oh, wait, what is this? And he looks at it. It took him three years. Like, thank God he recognized it as something. Right. Because, I mean, it was very tiny. So tiny. And, uh, but he recognized it as something and it took them three years, I think, to unroll it. So they didn't completely ruin it and have it disintegrate. Yeah. So, oh my goodness. Just, I I can't fathom the amount of patience that would require. No kidding. Oh my goodness. Like, and how they figured out how to do that. I don't, or that it was, they didn't really know if it was even going to be worth it. Until they unrolled That's a fair it. Point. So three years and a lot of <laughs> effort. A lot, a lot of patience. Yes. Um, and the last one I had, which I think we both could talk yes. about, is the the best of them all. And I want to do like a whole episode or maybe even a series of episodes about it. And that is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yes. Yes. This one deserves its own episode if not mini series like <laughs> right it just it's so cool we've talked about this a little bit before but um yeah continue because it's a it's a good one we'll give you, you want to tell how the dead sea scrolls were found yeah so i don't remember the story these bedouin kids were out in the field with their goats and the goat like jumped up on the cliffs and they went to go find it and i also like throwing stones into mm. These, uh, you know, just throwing them up at the cliffs. And they heard this, like, clink. And they thought, oh, my gosh, we found treasure. Right. And they climb up these cliffs, which if if you see that episode, I think I show a picture of them, which, of course, they don't have prepared today. But they climb up these cliffs and they look in because they're thinking they found this treasure, like, you know, worth money right now, treasure. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. And they go in there and they find these scrolls. They find the mm, jars that they're that they were kept in. Again, one of these like crazy accidents. The odds of them like throwing this rock in the right place, at the right time, and hearing that, and going and 
finding the Dead Sea Scrolls. Was Amazing. Just, yeah, so cool. They didn't realize what kind of treasure they'd found till, you know, much later. But that's pretty much the gist of it. Talk, talk about Providence. And so, yeah, if um, you guys want to see a picture um, of one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is the entire book of Isaiah. There it is. The entire book of Isaiah was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, almost word for word perfect. Yes. And it was dated to be about 150, 100 BC, before the New Testament was written. (laughs) And uh, even if it's just a copy, the fact that it was so beautifully preserved, it contains all 66 chapters as close to today as it could possibly be like it just kills me it just blows my mind um what a great testament this is to the accuracy of the old testament because i mean what more could you want besides like having god hand you a bible out of the sky like no kidding but it also like and it's a huge testament to the scribes who also oh, yes. <clears throat> continued these things. So the scribes themselves were, you know, uh, scholars, right. essentially. They were very qualified, trained for a long time. And they'd sit alone with special lighting and a special pen. They would copy things so um, they were perfectionists in that they would do one letter at a time. You know, they wouldn't like read the line and copy it down. It was one letter at a time. And then when they were done copying the text, if there were three or more mistakes, they just get rid of the entire manuscript and throw it, throw it out completely. Right. And then not only are they um, writing this down and making these copies and keeping them word for word, they even recorded how they transcribed the manuscripts. So like they kept records of how it was done just to reaffirm how legit all of this is. So they they kept records upon records <laughs> of all these things. So it's just it it's just really cool. It is really cool. Yeah. Uh, Whiskey Biz asked, "Was it made out of leather back then?" I don't think so. It was on pe- papyrus, papyrus, I think. Papyrus, but I'm not 100 percent yeah. sure. We'll definitely don't. look into that. Yeah. Yeah, like one of those things that I should, I should know. I should know that off the top of my head, but I'm getting there when it comes to some of that information. Yeah, exactly. Things I didn't think I'd want to know or need to know. And now it's like, I need to know. I need this information in my life. I need to know. (laughs) Um, One more like quick story I want to share about just archaeology and the evidence and how it kind of points to things is like the city of Jericho, which another episode I want to do one of these days. Um, So when we look at archaeological evidence there and compare what was left behind to the story from Joshua, there's evidence that suggests the city was destroyed quickly and nothing was taken from the city. And that's what we get from the biblical story too. Like God was like, this is a conquering. I don't want you to take anything. There's nothing to gained from Jericho, just destroy it, move on, keep going. And this is important in that you can see that in the archaeological evidence. You can see that there was no siege, that this was done quickly. There was, um, everything was left behind. 
And that's not traditional. That's not normal in this type of situation. So if it was the Egyptians, for example, normally what they would do is they would come in to siege a city and they would go before the harvest time so that they could take advantage of the crops that are outside the city and the people in sieged in the city could not get to their food, making the siege not as long. And so you wouldn't see the stores of food or the stores of things that are seen there now. Right. Again, the Israelites just like demolished it, moving on, not taking anything. So it's, it's not proof, but it's definitely a strong, strong evidence, strong suggestion that what is said in the Bible matches up with what we see in these archaeological findings. So all of this to say, if you look for it. Right. If you want to believe that the Old Testament is a reliable historical document, the evidence is there. You just have to choose to believe what's being presented to you. And if you don't want to believe that it's an accurate historical document, then you won't. Your choice. (laughs) Right. And this is the thing. It's like, we believe you should believe that it's real because it is. (laughs) You you believing in it or not believing it doesn't change the actual validity of the truth. It's just you deciding what you're going to pick. Mm -hmm. Um, And neither one of us can make you come to this conclusion. We can only provide you with the evidence and then you do with that what you will. And yeah. we hope you found this at least interesting. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully maybe curious. Right. Little tidbits, something for you to ponder, look into. And I think that's the a big part of it too, what God calls us to do, seek and you will find. And that's not like you need to go and seek me and prove that it's real, prove that I'm real. I need you, me, God, to have you go out and prove to everybody with infallible evidence that this is real. It's just seek and you will find. So if you, yes, it's part of also, I think, building that relationship with God and understanding him just a little bit better, a little bit more. The gap between us and him is, is vast and infinite. I don't think we're going to make the leap, but right, it is part of building that relationship and understanding him better and just more tools in the toolbox and ways to just I don't know. Like we said, bolster your faith. Anyway. Right. So let's talk about probabilities now, because I, I feel like we've set the stage yeah. really good. Unless you have any other pieces you want to bring to us. I think that's it. I think that's good. Okay. Like we got the foundation laid there. All right. We got the foundation. So I, I'm going to lay one more foundation and that's the mathematical piece, because I know when I start talking numbers, cause I, I talked a lot of numbers in our very first episode. And I think, everybody's brains just went like, <laughs> and your brain might still pop. Yeah. Um, but let, let me give you some ways to like kind of have a foundation for some numbers when we're thinking about probabilities. So the probability of being struck by lightning one time in any particular year is seven times 10 to the fifth or one in 700,000. So just kind of like thinking about that probability that you might walk outside of your house and get struck by lightning. It's That's one smaller than I want it to be. I mean, it's still a big right? number. <laughs> it's still big, but it's smaller than I want that to be. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was like, there are a lot of people on this planet. That feels yeah. too small. That's too small for comfort. But right, I've made it this far, I guess. 
the probability of being killed by being struck by lightning Ooh. is one in two million. That's better. Right. It's <laughs> much better. I'm going to talk with a lot of scientific notation just to get us used to it because the exponents get really high. So uh, one in two million is two times 10 to the six. Got it. The probability of becoming president is one in 10 million or one in times 10 to the seventh. Again, kind of lower than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So you're saying there's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, you got to be an absolute psychopath to want that job. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thanks. Right. I'm good. Stay here. The probability of a meteorite landing on your house is 1.8 times 10 to the 14th. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah, that that feels good. Not great, not, but not I mean, you know, great. it's not like it's a not, billion, but <laughs> right. <laughs> Still getting better. And then the probability that you will die is one in one. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Happens. It does. It does happen. It happens to all of us. Um, so there is this statistician um, by the name of Peter Stone. Uh, his book, Science Speaks, Go walks you through the probability of Christ fulfilling even just eight of the prophecies in the Bible. Uh, And I'll talk about the eight he examined. I really encourage you to go out and find the PDF of his book. Um, Actually, towards the end of the show, I will pop it in our live chat. And I'll try and include it in our description because it's actually out of print. The book was so controversial. Yeah, it was taken off the shelves and I was able to find it by digging deep into the internet. Good job. Wow. Right. It, it's crazy that people just like don't want you to know this stuff. They don't want you to know. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Right. Um, so the first verse we'll take a look at um, is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, wait. Oh, no. These are all in order. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem. Ephrath, oh, I'm going to say this wrong. All of these names wrong like I usually do. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And of course, this was fulfilled in Matthew 2, 1 through 4. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So we see the difference between Micah, which is Micah the last book of the Bible? Of the Old Testament? Of the Old Testament, yeah. No. No, it's not. I don't it's, think so. No. It's 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 towards the end of the minor part. But it is, so. yes. Um I should know the order. <laughs> nah. Um, but we know that there was a very, very long time gap between the minor prophets and the New Testament. So just again, recognizing the the time distance between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So 
the probability that Jesus would fulfill this particular prophecy uh, was calculated by divide by looking at the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah, so from the time of the prophecy, divided by the average population on earth during the same period. So this is 7,150, which was the average population of Bethlehem in the time of Micah, by the average population on earth, which was uh, 2.8 times, um, sorry, I got to count my zeros, (laughs) <laughs> Two times 10 to the ninth. So very large population. Very large. Right. Not quite as uh, many as we have now, of course. <laughs> still big. Um, still pretty big. Yeah. And so the probability of that happening is one in 2.8 times 10 to the fifth. So it's actually a pretty reasonable probability that someone of someone. importance would be born in Bethlehem. Right. Okay. Good. So, yeah. So not bad so far. Um, The next verse we got to look at um, is the messenger shall prepare the way for the Messiah. Boy, I've got some repeating verses in here. Come on, let's go. Oh, no. Here we go. Uh, This is Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, so basically, this is the prophecy that John the Baptist would come and prepare the way for Jesus. And of course, in Luke 1, 30-33, we get the coming of John the Baptist. Him out in the desert and his crazy camel hair, eating the locusts. Um, exactly. And he says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So the probability that one man and how many of the world over had a right. forerunner to prepare the way. Right. Basically, that one man would come before another to kind of like help him on his journey is about one in a thousand because we all have mentors. Yeah, absolutely. So who didn't have a herald? You know what I mean? Right. Coming to tell everybody. I personally didn't have a herald that was out in the desert chomping on locusts. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. My friend Steve out in the desert. I don't know. (laughs) I, I think Eating it's the bugs. PJ. Well, PJ, PJ. didn't come before you. Wait, does that <laughs> no. make you PJ's Oh, maybe Aww, it does. That's I don't want to eat the bugs. I've got the crazy hair. I contain it. I've that's got right. half. I've got half of that going on. Not I guess. Half of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Snow desert. Jeez, okay, so the next prophecy that the Messiah <laughs> will enter Jerusalem as a king, riding on a donkey. So this is Zechariah nine nine. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So again, very, very detailed prophecy. Yeah. And then, of course, you get Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey. Um During Palm Sunday, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Matthew 21, 8 through 9. 
So the probability of something like this happening, that a guy would come on a donkey, is one in a hundred. I mean, everybody was riding donkeys back right. then. Right, exactly. Not crazy, but still. Wait till we get to the compounding of still. these, yeah. right? Yes. Because that's where it all begins to add up. So, yeah. so far, yeah, not not too bad. Right. Not too bad. Not too bad. I could do it. Just kidding. <laughs> you could ride on a donkey and enter a city. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the probability that the Messiah would be portrayed by a friend and suffer wounds in his hands. So, Zechariah 13, 6. And if one asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. And of course, we get the fulfillment of that in John 18, 2 through 9. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a brand of a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Um, and of course, everything that happened, happened. So basically, the odds that your friend would betray you, one in a thousand. Right. I don't like those odds for myself personally. I know. Again, too small. <laughs> yeah. Too small. But, uh, well, we can talk about this later. But I'm curious, like, where he got all of the numbers, figures uh, from his book. But that might basically, be it's just running the prop. The instances of similar things happening. Gotcha. Yep. Throughout time. So like the the first one was very easy because it yeah. was a population ratio. Yeah. And then subsequent things, you can look at instances and it happening throughout time and you can take a ratio of them. It's like rolling a die. You know that it will have a chance of one in six of giving you a six, right? Right. Yep. Um, so basically numbers can be arrived at in similar ways by looking at a population and seeing how often we have an occurrence of something yes. like this. That makes sense. So he didn't just pull them out of nowhere. No, yeah. Just... He pulled them out of his <laughs> ear. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number five, the Messiah would be portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So uh, this is estimated of the people who have been trade been betrayed. Mm-hmm. So already out of that, one in a thousand, one in how many had been betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver. Right. Unfortunately, this was more common in those times than you would hope uh, because it's still one in a thousand. Oh my goodness. And that terrible. Right. Like 30 pieces of silver, give up your friend. Like they had advertisements, like just. But you know what's <laughs> kind of funny or not funny, haha, but like right. ironic, I guess, is um, wasn't Joseph also betrayed by his own brothers? For 30 pieces of silver, like sold. Yeah. Sold into slavery. Yeah. 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 So if it's that common that your own brothers would sell you into slavery. Good point. The the feeling that that would be a chance of one in a thousand. Yeah. Again, solid. Solid. (laughs) Um. The betra- uh, this one is very interesting. Yeah. The betrayal money would be used to purchase a potter's field. So this feels like very specific. Surely the stats have to be high for this. So Zechariah eleven thirteen. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. And if not, keep them. And they weighed out as many 
as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And so basically this is prophesying what Judas would do. So then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? (laughs) See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. And then, of course, they proceeded to purchase a potter's field because it was blood money uh, and they didn't want to have it in the temple. Yep. Um, so, again, feels very, very specific. So, the odds that one man and how many, after receiving a bribe for the betrayal of a friend, had returned the money, refused it, and then it was used to buy a potter's field is one in 100,000. Bigger. 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 So, not as big as I would like. As I would think. Right? But... Again, bigger. And just to point out, too, like these prophecies aren't so vague that you could interpret almost anything. Yeah. You know, like you're saying, just very detailed here. I just want to hold on to that. Like that, that on top of the numbers right. together. So all this is. Because like individually, individually, the prophecy seemed like, oh, this could happen to anyone or, oh, this could happen to anyone individually. Right. Right. Keep keep, put attacking that. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. Okay. Number seven, the Messiah will remain silent while he is afflicted. So Isaiah um, 53, seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Um, and of course, we know that Jesus was totally silent, did not defend himself. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that... The governor was greatly amazed, Matthew 27, 12 through 14. So basically the odds that one man and how many, when he is oppressed or afflicted, basically persecuted, would not defend himself is one in a thousand. I, I'm kind of shocked. Well, maybe I'm not shocked by that number. It's like you feel like you should defend yourself right. in an instance like this. Right. I wonder what would cause a person, like I understand here Jesus is trying to fulfill prophecy. Um, what would cause a person to not make a defense of themselves? I, yeah, that's a good question. What's going through your mind? But I also wonder if part of it is like, it's not going to make, it's not going to change anything. You know, I can, maybe it would have, but I don't think so. Like he knew that they were out for blood. Right. The, they were they were they wanted somebody to blame they were gonna blame him they let Barabbas go like oh, that, that, uh, I don't want to say he had like a defeatist attitude by any means but I just think he didn't because he, he knew, knew this was yeah, yeah he he knew what was coming he knew what he, he, I mean it was his whole purpose for being on earth um 
and he had he essentially had to do it. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. let the, and give the people over to their own sin. Yep, for it to take place, but it's just hard to remember. I like yeah. what Hicktown Honey says, or I don't like it. It's like sounds like they had real bad friends back then. Yeah, yeah. Odds were not not good for friends <laughs> being loyal, not betraying you. <laughs> also, kind of consider that populations back then were much smaller. True. Um, so, for it to be one in so many people was actually pretty solid odds. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because you and have I a smaller guess, population density work to work through. True. And what defines betrayal? And mm-hmm. also, I'm not saying that that's like loosey goosey here, but I'm just random question. Like, how did they? Def- how did he define that in his like figuring? Not that it right matters, but just kind uh, of I think it's a good question. Well, and I think like if you think about people today and even just internet friends and how easy it is to like. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> you know, throw somebody under the bus on the internet because you're not face-to-face. Were they ever your so, friend to begin with is always the question. <laughs> were they? Were they? Exactly. But is that like a betrayal? The odds would probably still be pretty good then today. Right. Like, I don't know. <laughs> More things to ponder. Right. And uh, the last one I will mention tonight um, is the Messiah will die by having his hands and feet pierced. Um, so this comes to us from Psalm 22, 16 through 18. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and they cast, and for my clothing, they cast lots. Yep. Um, and of course, in Mark 15, 24, they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. So the odds that one man and how many since the time of David would be crucified is one in 10,000. So odds are better then, but crucifixion was unfortunately yeah. a very popular method of torture yeah. by the Roman Empire. Yes, it was uh very heavily used to make an example out of people. Yeah. So, unfortunately. Um, and so before we, you know, you start going into like compounding all of this and the bigger numbers, I just want to point out, like for the sake of argument, Jesus knew the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was a rabbi. He knew the Old right. Testament forwards and backwards. He was the son of God and he knew it anyway, but... <laughs> Right. And so did his followers. So did a lot of, uh, you know, so did the Jewish community. But it still doesn't. So you could say, you know, he put a lot of things in place so that he would fulfill prophecy, for example. Um, there are some things kind of out of his control, like being born but that's, and being yes. moved around as a child. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> you know, John the Baptist, like you can't control what right. that dude is going to do. <laughs> And things like that are totally out of his control. So I, I, like people make the argument, or I've heard the argument that you know, well, Jesus set up Judas so that he would betray him to fulfill the prophecy and things like that, <clears throat> as if it. I mean, I don't believe that, but as if it takes away the validity of these things. But 
but he couldn't have manipulated events so that all 108 prophecies culminated into this and the probability of all of this and so on and so forth. So even if he had knowledge and like when he goes into the city, for example, with the donkey, like go get me that donkey. I need that donkey. You know what I mean? But still like that one he could control kind of, but there's so much here that he couldn't have. Anyway, you're going to show it with numbers. And I, I actually think this is an extremely important point because I saw a trailer for a movie that's coming out soon. I can't remember the name of a movie of the movie, but basically it's this guy who in ancient times who watches Jesus doing all the things he's doing. And he's like, Oh, I could do that. And then he's basically this charlatan who tries to, after Jesus dies and is resurrected, tries to create a following for himself. Um, And of course it's super woke and super just terrible. And I think it is the atheists trying to make the argument that this is what Jesus did. But you want to ask yourself the question, because I I wonder how that movie is going to turn out, because I suspect that if you were making this up, by the moment you got to crucifixion time, (laughs) you would have a lot of regret about the choices you made along the way, because... yeah. If you're not actually the son of God, you're not coming back. Nothing's going to call your bluff faster uh-huh. than certain death and the torture beforehand. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. So How, what does he stand to gain? What does he stand to benefit from dying the world's most ugly and torturous death imaginable? What is there to gain from that? If he's not the son of God and if he's just a charlatan. Yeah. What does he have to gain besides possibly being a martyr? But again, for what purpose? For what? For what? To to say, oh, I did it. Like, Yeah. You can't even say that when you reflect back on your life because no. you're no. dead. <laughs> you're, you're gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's something I think about often. Um. I know that in the most recent episode of Young, not the most recent, on an episode of Young Heretics, Spencer Clavin uh, spent a lot of time talking about kind of this ancient culture about having a legacy and dying a good death and how that was a very masculine belief back then. Mm-hmm. As long as you died an honorable death, that means you left led a good life. But yes. that also led to this deep philosophical question, well, you're also kind of dead. So you can't exactly enjoy leaving behind this great and noble legacy and why that has kind of fallen out of fashion as a belief nowadays. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Vikings justified it with Valhalla, if you would, and other cultures, same kind of thing. But even that has lost its way. You know, we don't believe in Valhalla anymore. There aren't Vikings around who are trying to die the good death in battle so they can sit at the table and (laughs) eat and drink with other warriors, you know? So I like that point a lot. So let's do numbers. Let's talk about numbers. So when you're just looking at one odd after another, like individually, 
the odds of getting one of these things to happen is high, but I guess not outside the realm of expectation. But you have to compound them because they all happened. And that's where things start to get crazy because you have to multiply all the probabilities together to show that they compounded. And when you multiply them all together, you get a probability of all eight, just eight happening to one person as one times 10 to the 28th. It's a lot of zeros. <laughs> For context. Yes. A mole is 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd. That's how many atoms are in one mole and about 18.01 milliliters of water or like three and a half teaspoons. That's a lot. That's a lot. If I had a mole of donuts, they would cover the earth up to two feet. It's a lot of donuts. And this number is bigger than that. Right. Right. Jeez, oh, Pete. Oh, my word. So now, of course, we have to take into the actual population of the earth, the probability that this would happen over history. So from the time of the Old Testament to now, there have been 88 billion people approximately uh, that ever lived. And the probability that just one of them would fulfill eight of the prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th. That is 100 quadrillion. Uh, again, you just kind of to, to give context to this number. If you marked one of 10 tickets and placed the tickets in a hat, stir them and asked a blindfolded person to draw them, his chance of getting a ticket is one in 10, right? Right. So let's suppose we turn that ticket into a silver dollar. Ooh. We mark it. We put it somewhere in Texas and then we cover it in 10 to the 17th, right? a hundred quadrillion silver dollars. They would cover the state two feet deep. Jeez. And let's ask the blindfolded man, walk as far as he wants, <laughs> fish around as far as he wants, but he has to pick up one and hope that one of them is the marked silver dollar. Te Texas is huge. Like, you can drive four hours from one place to another in Texas and still be in Texas. So, and that's driving. That is mind-blowing. Yep. And he would, yeah, yeah, you put it anywhere and go, what is that really random saying? Like, even a blind squirrel finds a nut or whatever, but not the right. marked one in not Texas under two feet of... <laughs> silver dollars everywhere that's just the whole state of texas stupid. mind you not just like no. austin no. or whatever the, the whole, whole state thing. that's just stupid. Do you all know how big texas is right right it stupid big it's a big state it's stupid big i love that <laughs> uh swim hook corrected me i should be ashamed of myself my, <laughs> my chemistry students will never let me live it down avogadro's number is 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd thank you jess uh, i know a pox be upon me <laughs> for being a terrible chemist <laughs> that's hilarious. but you know when you're counting zero, some of them tend to slip out. Right. You lose some of them in the, yeah. Oh. That's why we got our chat here. They keep us honest. They, they keep us honest. <laughs> and I, I appreciate you guys so much. Yes. 
for those of you who are still doubting, right? Uh, um, there are other prophetic claims that are in the Old Testament, uh, in particular Ezekiel. So let, let's just go through some st- stats related to Ezekiel, because the prophecies that were made in Ezekiel are confirmed by extra biblical texts and history. Right. Um, I'm specifically thinking of Ezekiel 26, um, where he makes seven prophecies that Nebuchadnezzar would conquer the city, that other nations would assist Nebuchadnezzar. The city will be made bare like a rock, that it will come become a place uh, for the spreading of fishing nets. Its stone and timber will be thrown into the sea. Other cities will greatly fear the fall of Tyre, and then Tyre would fall and never be rebuilt again. So we know all seven of these things happened. Check, 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 check. Right. Yeah. So four years after the prophecy was given to Nebuchadnezzar by Ezekiel, Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Tyre. The siege lasted 13 years. When the city finally fell in 573 BC, it was discovered that everything of value had been moved to a nearby island. 241 years later, Alexander the Great arrived on the scene And fearing the fleet of Tyre might be used against the homeland, he decided to take the island where the city had been moved to. He did this by building a causeway from the mainland to the island and by using all the building materials from the ruins of the old city. Neighboring cities were too frightened by Alexander's conquest that they immediately opened their gates to him. Ever since then, Tyre has remained in ruins. And it's a place where fishermen spread their nets. <laughs> Every single one of them came true and is proven by extra biblical texts. Would you look at that? Just so, look at it. Like, 100% confirmed every detail of the prophecy was fulfilled exactly. So based on these same calculations that Peter Stone used, the chances of these particular prophecies being fulfilled is a chance of one in 75 million. again we just keep talking about stupid big (laughs) like stupid big numbers this is just like one set of prophecies that is in the old testament there are hundreds of prophecies in the old testament not even including the ones related to jesus there are the ones related to samaria gaza jericho palestine moab babylon like the list goes on and on and on if you put together all Old Testament prophecy coming true, which they all did. You mm-hmm. get an odds. Wait for it. One and 5.76 times 10 to the 59th. Who? <laughs> you think your mind was blown before? Ah. <laughs> nothing, nothing. There is no... Mm-mm, mm-mm. I just, what? Mm-mm. I can't, I got nothing. Sorry. Right. That's just stupid. It, it is actually <laughs> that's my, stupid. That's my word. Here's the thing I want you guys to keep in mind. Jesus did not fulfill just eight prophecies. He filled right. 108. Accidental fulfillment of all of these prophecies is simply beyond the realm of possibility. There's no way, there's no way this happened by chance to believe this happened by chance takes more faith 
yeah. than to believe that a divine creator orchestrated it all to happen. Amen. Yes. You can't. No. Nope, nope, nope. Oh. Yeah. So while we are in this season of Advent, a time of expectation, a time of preparation and waiting, we have to remember that the Jewish people were in wait for their Messiah. A long 400 years of silence from God between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew with the coming of Jesus. For context, that is 20 generations. Think of how different you are from your parents, how different you are from your grandparents, great-grandparents, if you even knew them. That's just three or four generations. Now think of 20 whole generations that have passed since the end of Malachi to the beginning of Matthew. Israel waited with bated breath, clinging to the promise of a savior, and he came. That is the most miraculous thing of all. Just as God promised from the time of Adam all the way until the coming of Christ, God had been working behind the scenes in their waiting and their hurt. The Israelites could imagine what miracles God in store for him, for them, for the world, for the promise to be free from sin, the promise that God in his magnificent holiness would lower himself to take on the form of man, not just a man, but a baby, a baby to be born of a virgin. Mm -hmm. It honestly feels like not enough to say that what God did, what Jesus did and continues to do is awe inspiring. Like it, it really just leaves me feeling dumb. I don't have the words to say when I look at that glorious majesty and see it for its wonder. It's just like, yeah. Ah, I like what Swimothy says. There are literally less atoms in all of the universe than the exponent and the probability I gave earlier. Yes, exactly. Exactly. There aren't enough numbers anywhere in the world. There's not. To compare. (laughs) And just like personally, I don't know if you guys saw my tweet earlier, but I've been writing more again. And so as someone who likes to write stories in my very limited free time, I think about how painstakingly I take the time to outline how I plant seeds, little hints there, little illusion there, a little foreshadowing there. And then I think about God and this work that is the Bible and how God is literally the greatest author of all time, planting the seeds, planting the prophecy, planting the little hints all along the way, telling the world's most beautiful, incredible story across all of time and space. And we get to be a part of that story. Like, how amazing is that? We are a part of that story and we are loved by the author of that story. Individually, each one of us, it's not, he takes the time to, and has the... (laughs) infinite ability to love each one of us individually as he's prepped all these things right for the world it's it's so incredible and while christmas is such an important time for us religiously it's also a reminder that we are are in another agonizingly long waiting period and that's for jesus's second coming and i hope you guys Take some hope tonight, because if God fulfilled every one of his previous promises, he's going to fulfill the rest of them, because he's not done yet. There's so much more to do. Yeah. We're in our own waiting period. We are. 
Yes. I feel like I'm waiting and I'm like the the meme where God's like, Noah, get the boat. Get the <laughs> boat. Come on. Let's go, man. <laughs> it's just, yes. My pastor was saying a few weeks ago that, you know, we should, as Christians, we should be excitedly patient for the end. Like excited because we know that Christ is returning, but patient because each day that it that we have in between now and then is more time for people to come to know him mm-hmm. and to be saved. And as excited as I am, I will be patient as I can be. <laughs> I'm not good at the whole patience aspect. <laughs> not my strong suit. I'm working suit. on it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying. my strong suit. <laughs> But boy, I'm so ready. Um, If you guys are here live, I did drop in the chat the link to Peter Stone's book where you can read a lot of his work just a little bit further to get a feel for how he came up with those statistics. I personally think that uh, these statistics could use a revision because it's been a long time since this book was written. Uh, We have better statistical (laughs) models now. We have quantum computing now. And I think we could probably get an even more accurate picture of this. But even still, with these rough estimates, uh, he was being very conservative in these estimates, mind you, very generous. It's still just incredible that God was able to fulfill all of this. Yes. Yes. And I think even if we had something more accurate today, it still wouldn't diminish how incredible. Yeah. Probably just make it even more (laughs) Even more even amazing. More, even more amazing, which is hard to believe, but yes. I love it. It's fantastic. And again, it's something that you don't, we don't talk about what it means for Jesus to have fulfilled all 108 prophecies. It's kind of just one of those things that said like, yeah, didn't you know? And he did that. And isn't that cool? All right, moving on. And I love that you like took it and you're like, no, but, but really look at it. Look at it. It's really Look at the thing. Look at it. Just look at it. And it's it's there for us to see and witness and try to wrap our minds around. I can't. If anybody can, kudos. Right. But to me, it just right. So to kind of bring this back to what we were talking about in the beginning a little bit, we talk about the validity of of the Bible. Um and again, if you don't believe in it at all, then this means nothing. But if you do and you look at this, it's kind of like Yes, I can look into the details, but it's not a blind faith that I have. It's it's I look at all these miracles and it's the lens that I'm looking at this world. And then I choose to see how God has orchestrated this all so beautifully and wonderfully and perfectly. And can I explain him and his mind and what he is planning and doing? No, I can't because if I could, he wouldn't be God. You and I had said that earlier to each other. Like he wouldn't be the God I want to worship if I could understand him. But it just really reminds you, I think, and humbles you as to how big and great and wonderful our God is. And I don't know, for me, it puts a little bit of that fear in there too. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. You've, you've got this, like, who am I? Nobody. And Have you heard that casting crowd song? Who am yeah. I? Yeah. I, love, uh, that song. I love that song. Yeah. And it, but it's true. Who am I that you would do all of these glorious, wonderful things? I mean, it is for your glory, but at the same time, it is to remind us of who you are, your power, your might, and that in all of this, you love us. He does. 
He loves and, all of us. Yeah. He loves you guys. I hope he you loves, know that. Yeah. Remember that in this Christmas season too. That's right. Um, but we really appreciate you guys. Thank you for sticking around. I know it feels like kind of jarring to cut off our episode really quickly, but we have a lot to get to tonight. I want to make sure we get to memes. Uh, yeah. Our night does have to be short because tonight is the premiere of the Daily Wire's new movie, Lady Ballers. And I know that's probably a weird jump from talking right. about Jesus right. and faith to <laughs> talking Lady about Ballers. Like, <laughs> the most raunchy comedy ever. Um, uh, but I got to be an extra in that movie. And yay! if you haven't heard about it, let me just show you the trailer to kind of pique your interest. And we'll talk more behind the scenes uh, on Rumble. And see if you can find Jess in the trailer. You oh, can. Yes. Yeah. Let you can. I'll tell you that. You can definitely do it. Yeah. If you cheated and saw it already on Twitter, shame on you. Go. Just kidding. Oh, my gosh. I we, we will there get we there. We will get there. All right. Let me know if you can hear it. In a world where women's sports is being transformed, (laughs) the Daily Wire calls foul with the most triggering comedy of the year. Guys, this is serious. Sports can be your pathway to a better life. Well, like yours? <laughs> Please don't steal my catalytic converter again. Winning matters. It's the key ingredient in becoming a winner. Then maybe you should try it sometime. Are you going to move? I am not. <laughs> Let's cut to the chase. I know you're not a woman. Hey, you don't know how he identifies. If you could beat them. <laughs> what do you know about the U.S. Opens for the Global Games? You want us to compete as women. $5,000 prizes. My lover says you were a great coach back in the day. Join them. This is the way the world is now. My eight-year-old daughter told me all about it. So a guy can become a girl with no physical changes at all. Oh, that's called gender fluid. So I can be a woman on the court and a man in the bedroom. I can't believe it. Nice. You mean when you're sleeping? Yes. <laughs> yes. Alex. I love that. We have to play basketball. We have to get the whole team back together. It's time. We're in. I'm in. I'm in to play Lady Baldus. Come on up. Like a girl. Guess what? I'm with her. Oh! I'm leaving my truth. This is my truth. Heroes. Day one of being a girl athlete. <laughs> I love being a girl. To Sheroes. We could dominate every woman's sport. Running. Swimming, soccer. I said sport, Felix. Slate <laughs> basketball, boys. Nobody watches. Excuse me. Are these seats open? <laughs> ne- never mind. Getting dunks. <laughs> and tucking trunks. No, she didn't. That's the biggest I've ever seen on a lady. I don't care. Lady Ballers. One can even be trans-age now, which provides Sheelix with a wonderful opportunity to relive all the experiences that she missed out on in school. (laughs) Streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus, December 1st. So if you guys didn't notice, today is December 1st. (gasps) That's today! That's today! 
So it is streaming in like 30 minutes. So right. let's try and wrap this stream up. Let's look at some. Yeah. Any last thoughts, Elise? I don't think so. I'm excited for next week. We've got a lot coming up this oh month. Oh my gosh, yes. We should probably announce that. Uh, Tuesday, Faith Moore is coming on the show. We're going to do our Quirky Books podcast, talk about her new book, A Christmas Carol. Yay! That's going to be an absolute blast. Yes. Uh, and we're not having an episode Friday because we are having an episode Monday, December 11th. And Spencer Clavin is going to come talk to us about science and ancient magic. Yeah. Uh, I am looking forward to both of these conversations. I it's a week of Clavens. Be. I'm hyped. We're full of Clavens this week. It's going to be awesome. I'm excited. I hope you guys come over to Discord so we can talk more about this stuff. We'll definitely get to all of it. We yeah. love you guys. Love you. Stay Have a good night.